0: As we, we move forward this morning in our, our series in Acts, if you've watched television um, recently or read a magazine article or simply had a conversation with people uh, within our own community, you've probably heard people thank the universe. It's kind of a, a new trend. You'll hear this spoken about. You'll hear people say, I, 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 thank the universe for what's happening to them. They'll sp- You'll hear stars get up when they're they're accepting Emmy Awards or Grammy Awards and they'll they'll thank the universe for what's happened. In fact, for many, the universe or this idea of the universe has become synonymous with God. They see God as the universe or the universe as God. In fact, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is Uh, kind of a performer and philosopher, he echoed this belief when he says, not only are we in the universe, the universe is in us. I don't know of any deeper spiritual feeling than what that brings upon me. Elizabeth Gilbert added this. She said, the universe buries strange jewels deep within us all and then stands back to see if we can find them. What an interesting thing, isn't it? And yet, it's really a deception. Contrary to the belief about the universe, the universe is not God. What we've seen are the, the rise of things like the, the book, The Secret, or the idea of the law of attraction. If you just think it, it will occur. And it's the idea that there's this this mystical energy that comes from the universe. And our culture is rampant with it. The Secret was one of the best sellers. People were looking for a way to to have satisfaction and and make it come alive. I know of people who literally went and posted and printed pictures of themselves and the things that they wanted to accomplish and the goals that they had set for themselves and, and they would think on these things as if, if I just think about it enough that I'm attracting this energy, this mystical energy from the universe to bring transformation in my life. Well, the desire to put faith in the universe is a misguided response. And it's a misguided response to what Romans 1.20 points out, that God's invisible attributes namely His eternal power and divine nature, which have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made. So people are perceiving an invisible Creator whose eternal power and divine nature is being seen since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so rather than turning to the Creator, they turn to the creation. And ultimately, God is the one who is making Himself known, and ultimately what God desires is for His church to proclaim both in our words and our lives the only saving object of our faith, which is Jesus. It's His church which is tasked with the responsibility of proclaiming the only object of our faith, Jesus Christ. The universe doesn't save. The universe doesn't have power. But the God of the universe has power. And the God who saves does so through Jesus Christ, His Son. So, let's go ahead. We're going to be unpacking Acts 16, verses 11 through 40, it's a larger section of Scripture, and sometimes we, we tackle that in pieces as we go along. But I want us to read it together first, to hear it, to sit on it, and then we're going to unpack it together as we see how God is calling us or His followers to proclaim His truth. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 16, this is what it says. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, "'If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay.' And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, "'These men are servants of the Most High God.' who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried. With a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beat us publicly, uncondemned men, who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they not throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Lord God, as we look at your word this morning, we rejoice over the salvation of Lydia and this jailer. And God, we see the differences between the two. God, we thank You for the witness of Paul, the witness of Silas. Empower us in Your Word this morning to see Your truth. May we embrace Your truth. May we be a people who both believe on You for salvation and may we be a people who are on mission proclaiming Your truth. Father, I pray that You would just move me aside and that You would bring Your Word forth in power. Father God, may we put things that are hindering us this morning, concerning us, may we put those at Your feet. And may we allow You to deal with those things. And may You be the one that works in our heart. Spirit, come. And come freely amongst us, granting understanding of your word, encouraging, exhorting, and convicting our hearts. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, as we dive into Acts 16, verses 11 through 40, God uses the proclamation of his people to make known the gospel of salvation to the religious and unreligious. God uses the proclamation of his people to make known the gospel of salvation to the religious and unreligious. This proclamation to his people makes known the gospel of salvation. It's a proclamation that God has called us to share. How do people know who the true God is? How do people know what salvation is? It is through the proclamation of his people. Now, if you recall, in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10, as we saw last week, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night a Macedonia, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what's happening is Paul and Silas and Timothy, along with Luke, have gone into Macedonia. Now it's interesting to note that if we saw last week that God had prohibited the preaching of the gospel in Asia and in Mysia. And what happens in those moments is that not only does God in that moment kind of prevent it, as we saw it, was a seemingly hindrance to the ministry of God, He was actually directing the steps of Paul and Silas and Timothy. What happens when He directs the steps is they also gain another person, Luke. And so Luke joins them on this journey. Now we're told here that they set sail for Troas, and they they made a direct voyage to Samanthras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Now, Philippi is located in Macedonia, but it was a Roman colony. It was under Roman rule. And we're told that when they arrive there, they stay there for several days. Now, their mission is clear. Their mission is to actually proclaim the gospel. But it's interesting that if we understand how they proclaim the gospel and what's taking place in the proclamation of the gospel, that what we see here in this text is a picture of how God has called us to proclaim the gospel. There are lots of different methods and means and ways to proclaim the gospel, and yet there are things that God wants us to understand about proclaiming His gospel according to His call. I think sometimes it's easy to think up in our head what it really means to share our faith. And we forget that the Lord has given us some guideposts, some guidelines. There are things that God wants us to understand about the gospel. And when we move away from that understanding, we either thwart what God is doing, or we, we find ourselves discouraged and hindered. So what we see in this passage then Are really some guideposts for us. And so proclaiming the gospel of salvation according to God's call begins with an understanding that God opens the way for the gospel to be received. God is the one who opens the way for the gospel to be seen. Notice what he says. They come into Philippi, they're looking for a place of prayer, they go to this meeting place. They get to that meeting place and there are women sitting there who want to talk with them. This is best case scenario, is it not? Nothing like a captive audience. There's nothing better than sharing the gospel with somebody who says, Tell me what I need to know. It's awesome, right? Sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes people are ready to hear. And look at what it says. It says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Most likely, Lydia was was well-to-do, well-off financially. Thyatira was known for its wealth. Lydia is from there. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. Interesting. But then notice what it says from there. It says... The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So there's two things about God opening the way to receive the gospel. The first is that God opens hearts to understand the preaching of His word. God opens hearts to understand the preaching of His word. He opens hearts to understand the preaching of His word. It says, one who heard, that was Lydia, and God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, when we go and proclaim the gospel, the first thing that we need to understand is that worshipers need the gospel as well. because a person worships God or loves God does not mean that they know Jesus. There are lots of people in our culture who believe in God. In fact, James tells us that even the demons believe in God. Go to somebody, talk about God. Most of the time, they're happy to talk with you. Why? Because their understanding of God is often a worldly understanding of God. It's confused with the universe. It's safe. But where it becomes unsafe is when you begin to mention Jesus. I remember as a kid, I would always look at sports figures, and after they got done something, they would talk about, they want to thank God. And for me, that meant, oh yeah, they know Christ. Well, they may know Christ, but they may not. There are plenty of people who thank God who don't know God, who don't know God personally and in a saving way. Salvation is not by believing in God. Salvation is by believing in Christ and the work that God did through Christ. It is in Christ that our salvation is anchored. It is in Christ that our salvation is grounded it's one of the reasons that we need to be so clear, because in the body of Christ, we can have lots of people who believe in God, but who have never believed on Christ for their salvation. Luke 24, 44-47 says, Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. God is the one who opens our eyes. He is the one that opens our hearts to salvation. This is actually pretty freeing. Because, as a follower of Christ, that means that my responsibility is to proclaim the message and let God do His work. I remember years ago somebody saying to me, I've been working with somebody, a man, for about six months. And we would consistently go over the gospel, and we'd sit together, and we'd meet together every other week, and we'd talk about questions that he had about the Bible. And I remember another brother in Christ came to me one day and he said, listen, he goes, are you just, you just not closing the deal? And it really frustrated me. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I, I struggle at closing the deal too. I mean, that's one of the situations where you just got to close the deal. The problem with that is, is God is the one who opens hearts. Our job is to be faithful to the proclamation of His Word and of His truth. And so, when we understand that God is the one who opens the way for responding to His grace, then we're freed up knowing that God is the one who opens hearts, that He's the one that opens hearts to understand the preaching of His Word. The only way that we can understand His Word and the preaching of His Word is through God Himself. Opening our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's encouraging. It's God's light who's shone in our hearts. Now, this is in contrast then to the jailer, it was easy going easy going with Lydia she's like the home run she's the one that most of us are like yeah I'll walk right into the middle of that right and then there's the jailer look what happens with the jailer it says that as as we're going to this place of prayer in verse 16 this is Paul and Silas we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune tailing She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, that may seem like the the demon is crying out and saying, listen, I'm identifying who he is. This term, the Most High God, was also used by the demon that Jesus rebuked in Mark, at the beginning of Mark. And what it signifies is the demon acknowledging God as Creator, but not Lord. It's acknowledging His power, what He has, apart from his lordship. And so, what happens here? It says that Paul finally gets annoyed by this. Now you can imagine, this demon-possessed woman following him around, following him around, and all of a sudden, Paul's finally done with it, and he rebukes this demon, and he casts that demon out. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Now, we're told here that this word, this divination, was that this girl was associated with a cult, and it was a snake-like component. It was there for destruction, and this snake-like demonic force was actually fortune-telling and bringing money to her slave owners. Now, we saw this earlier, actually, with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark when He throws the the demons into the pigs. And the people, they don't want it because he just actually slaughtered their pigs. They They don't know what to do with it. Even though this demonic man is no longer crazy and becomes a follower of Christ, the people in the city hate it. Well, once again, the owners are like, hey, you just took away our income source, and they create a lie. And as a result of that lie, Paul and Silas are beaten. Now after they're beaten, they're thrown into jail where this jailer is now responsible for them. Now it's important to know that jailers, if they had people escape from them, they themselves would be put to death. And so, we find Paul and Silas singing about midnight. In fact, they're praying, and we're told that the prisoners were listening to them, and then suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, think about that there's complete freedom. Now, for many of us, we're in prison for wrong reasons. We've been persecuted and beaten for wrong reasons. We're not sticking around to find out what happens. Our goal is get to the door and get the heck out, right? That's our response. The human response for us is to run from danger. But the godly response begins one of seeing the whole picture and the purpose of His will. Sometimes God has us run from danger, and sometimes God has us stay in danger. Paul and Silas understood what would happen to the jailer who didn't know Jesus if they left. The death was not simply an earthly one, but it was an eternal one. And so we're told in verse 28 that Paul cried with a loud voice. This was in response to the jailer coming with his own sword and desiring to take his own life. He says, do not harm yourself for we are all here. So God first opens hearts to understanding, but he also opens the shackles of bondage to bear witness to his redeeming power. He opens the shackles of bondage to bear witness to His redeeming power. He opens the shackles of bondage to bear witness. That means that proclamation of God's truth occurs in two ways. One, through the sharing of words, the sharing of God's truth verbally, as well as the way that we live our lives. Proclamation of the truth, proclaiming truth, is twofold, both in what we say and what we do. This is the danger, I think, that occurred in the church many years ago was this consistent push towards friendship evangelism. If I just live in somebody's presence long enough in Christ, somehow they'll get it. The problem with that is that's not the full proclamation of God. The proclamation of God is that I'm proclaiming the truth of Christ and yet at the same time I'm living out the truth of Christ in my life. Because it is in the living out that the shackles are broken and people begin to see a life that is no longer hindered by sin. Failure may occur but it's no longer dominating and mastering life. Now think about this for a minute. This was already on display before the shackles were even broken. Paul and Silas saw themselves really as freed men. That's why they were able to sing hymns to God. Psalm 42.8 says this, By the day the Lord commands us His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice what Psalm 77, six says. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let my, me meditate in my heart. It's in those moments where we can't go and practice the love of Christ, demonstrating that to others that God uses it for our heart to be melded and, and, and formed and shaped. And in the darkness of the night, God's helping us see his truth. And it is in the darkness of night that when we can still continue to sing and seek him that we are declaring that we are not a people who are in slavery but a people who are free in Christ. It's radical to the world. Hebrews 2, 14-15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What a great passage. He's saying that he's, he's put down the power of death, and that's, part of what people see in our lives is that the power of sin is being put off and put aside. But it's not just sin. It's the power of the trial of this life that is being put down. Notice what's seen here. They've just watched Paul command a demon out of a young girl. That power comes only through Jesus, a life transformed. They've witnessed him sing and pray in a prison when he has been wrongfully persecuted, wrongfully beaten, and wrongfully imprisoned, and yet rather than grumbling and complaining, he sings and he prays. How do we respond in those circumstances? When injustice occurs towards us, how do we respond This year, probably many of us have felt like we experienced different injustices for all kinds of reasons. Do people see us different than the world? Do people see that our hope is in Christ and different from the world? What if when we heard people complain and grumble, we immediately came back to the hope that we have in Jesus? What if complaining about the situation of our world and our earth, what if all of a sudden we came back and we said, well, you know what? i got to tell you, the hope that I have is not in those things. It's in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me share it with you. The Gospel becomes the answer. And the turmoil becomes the opportunity. And it's not just simply what I say, but it is how I live and what I do. Do you join in with the world in complaining? Or do you point them to the hope that you have in salvation? I'll tell you what, if you're listening to the news, you're listening to talk radio, if you're reading Yahoo, you're reading Fox News or CNN, I'll tell you what, if that is happening more in comparison to what's happening with the Word of God in your life and the truth of Christ in your life, you're going to be influenced. And we are going to find ourselves losing our hope and looking more like the world and less like God. And God has called us in this time to be witnesses, to glorify Him for His purpose now. He's put it on a platter for us. The world is in despair and we have the answer. And when we go along with the world, we've got nothing. But when we come back and we say, listen, the hope that I have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? I'm beginning to look different. Why is it that we don't join in with the grumbling and the the frustrations? Because we have Jesus. Our hope is different. And so proclamation comes not only through what we say, but also through the chains, the shackles being removed. And it declares that power. Now, notice what happens. Notice here that in verse 29 through 32, this jailer notices something different. He doesn't have to be told a thing, but he knows that Paul and Silas have something different, and he says this Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whoa! The jailers heard of Paul and Silas commanding out this demon. They watched Paul and Silas being beaten for something he most likely knew wasn't true. They continued to sing hymns and pray to the Lord as other prisoners listened around. And a great earthquake shakes and the shackles come off. Guess what? That jailer that entire time goes, there's something different about these guys and i got to find out what it is. It's a wonderful reminder that when we live differently than the world, people will ask us, What's happening? People will come to us to find out. I remember years ago giving my life to Christ. It's towards the end of my senior year in high school. And this is not a story about me, but it actually points to the truth of what happens in these moments who I was prior to that, who I was for the majority of, of those years of my life, there are those who still know me today that knew me in those years of high school. I don't know, almost 30 years ago. Their picture of me is that person who is defiled, who, whose pursuit with God was non-existent. And yet, there were those who saw me that saw what happened in my life when I gave my life to Christ. And I remember a friend of mine who had been close with for several years giving his life to Christ about three years later. And his response in that, at that time, was now I finally understand and have what Tim has. It has nothing to do with me, but a life change stands out. Now that individual, unfortunately, made a profession of faith and over time has, has slipped, has walked away. Our faith can't simply be just simply in seeing what's occurred, but it has to be owned for ourselves. And so, salvation here we see comes through faith alone in Christ. So, the first thing is that God opens the way for receiving His grace, but then, secondly, salvation comes through faith in Christ. If your eyes have been opened to God's truth, if I could say that as bold and as bluntly as I can, if you are understanding the gospel, repent and believe. It only comes through faith. It only comes through faith. Don't delay. God's given you a grace to be able to see his salvation. Come to him in faith. Salvation comes through faith in Christ. Now notice what John 6 verse 28 through 29 says. And I love this passage. It says this, It says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. If you're still trying to, to work your way to righteousness, it's not going to happen. If you're still thinking there might be another way than submitting yourself to Jesus, it's not going to happen. It starts by our submission to Jesus Christ. Now notice what happens here when they respond. Both Lydia and the jailer. This is the beauty of the gospel. The worshiper of God who didn't know Jesus and the complete pagan. The religious and the unreligious, both needing the gospel the same way. Both coming through faith in Jesus and then the outworking of that gospel is immediate. Notice, that genuine salvation produces faithfulness to his will. Genuine salvation produces faithfulness to his will. Lydia, it says here, after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. What does the jailer do? It says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Listen to this. And then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When we come to Jesus, when we respond in faith to Jesus, yes, God will continue to do things, and it takes time for him to work out things in our life, But you know what the response is to the gospel? It's one of humility and submission. God gives us a new heart that seeks to identify with Jesus, not with self. Notice, immediately they go to a place of wanting to be baptized, identifying with Christ. And then what do they do? They both offer hospitality. All of a sudden, There is a love for the things of God. This love for God manifests itself in a love for others. And that love for others is demonstrated in hospitality. Genuine salvation will bring faithfulness to the fulfillment of God's will, loving Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Unfortunately, I believe that for many years we've simply said a very trite saying. And the saying is trite because we have led people to believe that if they simply say a prayer of salvation that they are saved. Romans 10 says that it's got to be a confession of the heart. It's a belief That Jesus is exactly who He claimed. That He died and rose again, defeating death. And that Jesus came and bore the weight of the totality of our sins. That He was not just man, but He was man and God. 100% man, 100% God. Taking the rightful penalty of sin upon Himself and defeating it through the resurrection. We need to get out of the business of making people feel secure in their faith when they aren't bearing fruit of their faith. Somebody asked me recently, Do you believe in security of salvation? And I said, Yes. The problem with that question is that question is almost always posed when somebody's in sin. Security of salvation is not for the lost security of salvation is for the saved for the repentant so that i know that yesterday when i yelled at my kids and i grumbled a cuss word under my breath that that sin does not condemn me to hell because the righteousness of god is still at work within my life but if i were to look at that experience and i were to say in that experience guess what I don't really care what God thinks, and I'm going to continue on in it, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to continue moving on repentance. There should be no security in that. So the problem with that question is, yes, I believe that we are guaranteed with the Holy Spirit, but too often that question is asked when we're in sin, unrepentantly. The security is for the believer who is pursuing Christ, not for the person who is walking in unrepentance. That's what God's trying to get us to understand. And so we are to bear fruit of that repentance. And then finally, God opens the way. His salvation is available through Christ and through Christ alone. And the third thing that we see here about proclaiming the gospel is that personal rights are laid down for the sake of the gospel but not dismissed. Personal rights are laid down for the gospel but not dismissed. Notice what happens. The jailer responded to these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent you to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to him, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men, who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do, do they do now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Then it says that they were afraid, and they came to him. Now, when they came... It says, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city after they had apologized. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. God will call us to lay down our rights for the sake of his gospel. But because we lay down those rights, those rights are not to be dismissed. They are things that God has given as protections for his church. You see, when we lay down our rights and when Paul laid down his rights, it was through the laying down of the rights that he was actually bearing witness to the truth of Christ. He was bearing witness to the hope of Christ. When we lay down our rights, we're bearing witness too. But notice that Paul reminds them of his Roman citizenship. Paul goes back and says, wait a second. Yes, I forgive you. I've granted you forgiveness. I laid down my rights, and it has a purpose. But you need to remember this. You need to know that the next time I come in, I'm a Roman citizen, and this will not happen again. It was a protection for the church. In many ways, during this time of COVID, we can relate to this. God has called us to lay down our rights. COVID is the sensitive topic that seems to inflame everything. And it gets blown out of proportion. We we question one another's motives and we question one another's hearts. And yet Christ's church is to be unified and we are unified in Jesus. But we need to remember this, that the laying down of rights is for the sake of the gospel. But the laying down of rights is not to be easily dismissed. Because God has given those rights as protections for His church, as we know in Timothy, when we're instructed to pray for government leaders so that we might be able to do what? Grow and walk in our faith, right? Without hindrance, in essence. And so those are protections that had been granted. And so it is that we meet with masks on as a church. We wear those masks. When we choose not to lay down our rights, we communicate that we're more like the world than we are about, than we are about Christ. The flip side to that is, is that we should be able to say simply this. We should be able to say, listen, we're going to let our to be known to all men. And it may not be my preference, but I can do it for the sake of the gospel. But guess what? At the same time, there are freedoms that have been afforded to the church. I want to share something with you that is unique for us in this season. Three weeks ago, the churches in Sonoma County, the christ Center churches that meet, there's about 30 of us that meet together every week. There are over 300 congregations of all different kinds of faith in Sonoma County. They're not reporting in these numbers. Of the 38 churches who are reporting, who meet together weekly, and this number is affirmed by Dr. Mays, Director of Health for Sonoma County, As of three weeks ago, there were 215,803 people in attendance in outdoor services and indoor services in those 38 churches since March 23rd without a single case of COVID traced back to a church. That's not just because we've done it well, but I believe that as we've sought to honor those in authority over us, God has also protected His church. That doesn't mean that people inside of the church haven't contracted it. It just means that when they have, they've stayed away. But here's the thing. The flip side to that is this. Is that it's been very easy to let government leaders dismiss the church. In fact, it's the only essential service that is placed in the entertainment industry. We are placed alongside theaters and amusement parks. It's tragic. We are the only essential workers as pastors that are not on the vaccination list. From my understanding. And it has not been brought up prior to this last week. And we are the only group, the only specific group that is stated to have constitutional protections that don't allow the government to involve itself in the gathering of the local church. In fact, unlike other rights that are being proclaimed, it is a right that people fought and died for. This week, in our meeting with our supervisors, there began to be this fear, this angst. The Ninth Circuit Court is taking up in two weeks whether the constitutional of California and its prohibition against the churches over the last 10 months is constitutionally allowable. The Supreme Court has informed the Ninth Circuit that their decisions and other decisions have been leading towards the idea that it has been unconstitutional for the government to come in and do this. And our local leaders and officials have said, listen, we want to get ahead of this curve because we realize we've been doing something that may have been in violation of what the freedoms are that you have as churches. Now, that's not to turn on the government and to be angry. If you were a government person, you are, your focus is on safety. But what it means is this. It's our job as the church to show the truth. It's our job to both live it out with respect and with honor, Paul does not dishonor these leaders. He simply makes them accountable. He doesn't come in and go, you absolute idiot and morons, how can you not know? But rather, he comes in and he says, listen, you need to tell me first. And yes, I deserve an apology. But then he forgives them. And he sets the table so that next time it doesn't happen. And in so doing, he is able to bear witness to the testimony and proclamation of the truth of Christ. We, too, have the same responsibility. That with our leaders, in the same way, our response has to be one, not of flipping the bird at them in the middle of it, but rather it is the one where we come to them and we say, hey, for next time, And for the coming months, here's the value of the church. Here's the rights that were protected. And it's not so that we can run around rampant and do things unsafe because we will do them safe. We will follow the guidelines that are given. But it is to say that the gathering of the church is important. And the protection that God has afforded itself in this culture is one that we should stand with, not stand against. So our laying down of our rights is not to be seen as passive and tacit weakness, but rather it is to be informed. It is in the fact that we know what our rights are and we still lay them down that the gospel is seen because what we are declaring is the gospel is more important and the witness that we have in the gospel is more important. Richard Wormbrand, and I'll leave us with this this morning, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, spent 14 years in prison preaching the gospel. Three of those were in solitary confinement. All of this in Romania. He testified that alone in his cell, cold and hungry in and rags, I danced for joy every night. During that time, he asked a fellow prisoner whom he had led to Christ before they were both arrested, have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Jesus? The man responded, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it another way. May we be a people who are committed to the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus, not divided by the cultural tensions that take place, but unified in the purpose that we have to live out the gospel, both when it's easy and when it's hard, both in what we say and what we do. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we look at your gospel, we are grateful that we can stand with you. We are grateful that our faith is not based upon the trials of this life or the ease of this life. And may we see that the proclamation of your truth goes forward in spite of the noise around us. May we use the opportunities of our culture in despair and in grumbling. May we use that as an opportunity to be different, to be a people who are marked by hope and by joy. May we be a people who lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel easily and yet still hold those rights dear and make and inform and instruct and encourage those who lead us, reminding them of what has been given up for the sake of the gospel and the importance of those things. May we rest solely in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.